Wow, after that singing and worship, what Bud had to say at the table, I almost feel like I don't need to preach. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Unfortunately, short-winded preachers just don't exist. But this morning, we're going to talk about the two enormous words on the screen. We are. Now this summer, we've had sermons and lessons about why we do what we do as a church, why we worship the way we worship, why we do the things we do as His church. But this morning, I want us to look at who are we? To fulfill the statement and saying we are this. Because we know we are the church. We are Christians. Christians have been called the way. We were referred to throughout Scripture in many different ways. We are the salt of the earth. We are a city on a hill. We are the, salt, we are the light of the world. We've been referred to in many different ways. Think about those passages. We are the body. As you consider what it means to wear this mantle, this name of Christian... I want to look at what Peter has to say in 1 Peter. There are three big examples. I don't know that anywhere in Scripture you find a more condensed explanation of who we are as the church. That as we look through 1 Peter, I want to identify three different things that we are. To flush them out, to understand why these are significant. But this morning, I want you to start out and not just think about the scriptural examples of Christian, but I want you to think of all the connotations that that label of being part of God's people means. The good and the bad. Because, as we know, not all Christians, not all of God's people have worshipped God the way they should. Have given the example that they should have given have stood for the things that Christ would have them stand for. We know that the world views us through a very different lens. As you get that in mind, you think about all these things. You've had a moment of reflection. I want you to let it go. Because quite simply, how we are viewed by other people, is important to note. How we view ourselves, our imperfections, and our successes. Our growth, and the times that we fail to grow. They're important to reflect on, but this morning, I want to move past that and look at who we are. Now, we have to look at our foundation. That but alluded to the verse we'll get to in a little bit. Christ, who is the living stone. As we look at our Savior, He's the one that defines us. He's the definer of our nature. We have a Savior whose life, death, and resurrection changed the world. He called disciples. He taught them about God. He showed them many miraculous things. He lived with them. 
for three years teaching them, encouraging them, building them up to be His people. And He died as a sacrifice for each and every one of us so that we could be raised to a new life. We've entered that grave with Him. We've chosen to become brothers and sisters to our Savior. And like our Savior too, we experience a death and a resurrection. Now our death and resurrection is not a literal one. It's not a physical death. But that does not mean that it's not miraculous. Through our belief, our confession, we put to death our old selves. God puts to death the old us. Our sinfulness. When we're buried beneath the water. And we're raised by God to a new life. Baptism is no small thing. It's not merely symbolic. It's not merely superficial. It's something far, far more than that. It's a birth into a new life. Into a risen life. By which we are part of God's family, His people, and His kingdom. So that's the first thing in 1 Peter we want to recognize. That we are risen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of that salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, we greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith can be shown. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are fulfilled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you have received the end results of your faith which is the salvation of your soul. When you hear that, when you hear about what God has done in making us a risen people, I want to turn over to Colossians 3 and read verses 1 through 4 as well, because I think it speaks to this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We are a risen people. 
And as a risen people, that means we are different. God has transformed us. That when we enter into this death, we give up everything. This isn't, I'm going to step one foot in the water or stick your toe in. This is taking a plunge. This is becoming something entirely different. And the thing is, if God has brought you to new life, something miraculous and amazing, that He is continuing to transform you into a new creation, what else then might God do through you? God is working in miraculous ways through you, whether you can explain what happens or not. God is there and God is working through you. If you have been there and supported someone through their grief, through a loss, the death of a family member, the death of a friend, God has done something miraculous in you. If you have fought patiently with someone, a friend or a family member, who struggled with drugs or alcohol addiction, or any addiction, and you've fought with them, you stay by their side and help them change, help them overcome, you've done something miraculous because God was using you. If you have studied with somebody, taught them about Christ, one person or a hundred, God has done something miraculous through you. God is working to call all people to Him. God wants us to find Him. God wants all of us to be a risen people. So don't underestimate yourself. And more than that, don't underestimate God. Dream big. Don't be settled with something small. Dream big for yourself, what God's going to do through you. Dream big for what God's going to do through your family. Dream big what God's going to do through this church here at Crossroads. Dream big that God will use each and every Christian in this world to transform it, to make it His kingdom, to call more and more people back to Him to the point that we've accomplished the goal Christ set for us in spreading the gospel throughout the world. Dream that He will use each and every one of us in extraordinary ways. Because that's what we're called to. We're called to be a risen people. We're also called to be risen. Not just as a people, but as stones. Now if you look in 1 Peter chapter 2, you can just keep your finger there. I know this is one of the passages that's easy to struggle with. Because you go, what is, what's he talking about? What does Peter mean that we're stones? Well, this comes back to some Old Testament history. So feel free to ask that question. What does it mean that we are living stones? Now, long before God called the Israelites, as far back as any verbal or written history goes, throughout the Middle East, throughout this area, the area including Israel, the people there 
would erect stones. They would stand them up as a commemoration to what their idols or their gods had done. Now, God understood this, understood the significance, and understood that His people needed a way to communicate as well. So He instructed His people to raise stones to show what He had done. That four times in Jacob's life, He raised stones. A couple of those being, He raised a stone that He had used as His pillow when He had the vision about a ladder to heaven. That when He was called back, to the promised land. He erected a stone. He stood it up. To the Middle Eastern culture, this was significant. That God was revealing Himself in their language, in a way. In their custom. In saying, this is what I have done. Now, the people that lived near these stones that would stand, they knew the story. So that when somebody passed by and they go, something happened here. Something important. Now what happened? The people around could tell them, this is where Jacob had the vision about a ladder to heaven. God instructed Moses to raise twelve stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, after the Ten Commandments. When people passed by there, what happened here? There are twelve stones. Something big happened. You know, of course we equate more stones, something bigger. But that significance continued. Joshua raised seven stones after the crossing of the Jordan River. It goes on and on. The use of these standing stones to commemorate something God has done. Now the Hebrews called these standing stones Masaboth, which is from the Hebrew word to stand up. that God commanded His people to take in this custom, to use this custom to express what He was doing, to show people that might not have understood that their God, the God of Israel, was different from these fertility gods, from the God of Baal or the gods of the Ammonites, the Canaanite gods, to express that there was something different. Now let's read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-8. through 8. As you come to Him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the Scriptures it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders reject has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for.
the world's still a broken place. Not every ear you spread the gospel to. Not every heart will understand. Not every heart will accept. But even to those who have heard and not listened, even to those who have heard and objected and disobeyed, we're not told to stop telling them. We're not told to stop preaching to them about our Savior that has done so much. We're a risen people. We are like living stones. So what does this mean? What does this look like to be a risen stone? If you continue in 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our lives stand. They stand as a monument. They stand as a marker. Not pointing, saying, look at me, but pointing and saying, look at God. Look at what has been done in me that I have not made myself righteous. I have not made myself good. I have not made myself humble or any of those things. God has worked in me to transform me to be like His Son. God has worked in each and every one of you to transform you to look more like His Son. God is working in this world. We are living stones to show, to testify, to proclaim what has been done and why. So when someone asks you, why do you live the way you do? Why do you have this joy? It's a painful, hard world. Why, why are you still happy? Why can you smile even when you lose your 401k? You might not smile right away. <laughs> but when you suffer, when you fall down, when you lose something, you still have this joy in you. You still have this assurance of salvation. You're there to testify that you are like that living stone. All of us are. We've been built into a people. As it says, a household. We've been built into the body, the church. We're the living stones that when people ask about your life, you get to tell them about God. You get to tell them about Jesus Christ and what He has done in you. Now lastly, the third example of who we are. Continue in 1 Peter chapter 2. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. 
Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of injustice, suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in His footsteps. Now, we are free from sin. It doesn't have a hold on us anymore. For those of you who were here a few Wednesday nights ago, I did an illustration which I was tempted to do again today, but used a jar of water. Put in some food coloring that taints the water. That when sin enters our life... That's the way it is. It penetrates. It corrupts our character entirely. It consumes us. Because one sin is enough to make us fall. But what Christ did was not only did He get rid of that sin and that jar gets washed clean. The secret ingredient is bleach. But when the jar gets washed clean, And that water is clear again. Not only is it clear for that moment, but even when you do sin, even when you add more of that color, it just doesn't stay. We've been made free from sin. Not as a license to keep on sinning, but as a license to have the freedom to pursue what God would have us to do and understand that we're going to fall, we're going to make mistakes, but that we're still free. We're likewise bound to God. Bound to Him because of what He did for us. Sending His Son to die on the cross to give us the opportunity to know Him. The opportunity to be free. To change our lives. To be something more. To be that risen people. Now, I can't Read that passage. I can't think about this without thinking of Romans 12 and verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That this is what this means. That we give our lives wholly to God. We don't hold anything back. And that's not easy. I'm not going to claim it is, but I promise you turn everything over. You change your life completely, and there's nothing God cannot do through you. We are a risen people. We are living stones, and we are free slaves. I believe Peter's description of who we are echoes strongly even today. 
I want to challenge us to embody each of these descriptions. I want to challenge us not just to embody these, not just to embody the other descriptions used in the Bible for God's people. But I want to embody, I want to challenge us not just to embody these things, not just to live them out, but to pursue the purpose of why. Why are we a risen people? Why are we living stones? Why are we free from sin and slaves to God? To me, this picture captured a lot of emotion. It made an impact. You can say, well, it's just a picture. But I'll explain why. Because to me, this picture captures why we are who we are. It captures the individual and the global. It captures why Christ died for you as an individual and for everyone. No matter what background you come from, God is calling to you. God is calling to your neighbors, to your friends, to your loved ones. God's calling to the people you don't like. God's calling to the people that are rude to you. He's calling to the people you tell your kids, don't be like that. God's calling to us all. That Christ died for us so that all people, the individual all the way up to the global, could have a relationship with His Father. We've been called to a monumental task. We've been called to spread the gospel to everyone. We've been called and isn't that enough? Do we really need any more persuasion to be promised this life and then to receive it? To be promised a new beginning and to become a risen people? Now, as a risen people, we do have the responsibility of spreading the word. We have lives that stand like stones, testifying to what God has done in us. Our example screams out even when our voices don't. In a world that is full of sound, full of opinions, full of words that mean less and less, I think it's important to note the importance of you being a living stone. That your life would point to God. Now you are free from sin, but you are bound to God. The God who made you, the God who sustained you, and the God who saved you. It's impactful. It's meaningful. Just imagine 
if that was your face. Just imagine if whoever taught you about God, whether that was your mother or father, whether it was a teacher, a friend, a co-worker, had not taught you about Christ. How lost would you be? If you need support in living this life you've been called to, if you've lost your way, I want you to know we are here for you. We're a family, and each and every one of us has stumbled over something. And we've fallen down, and we've gotten back up. And if you've fallen, we can pick you back up. We can help you. And we are here for you. If you have yet to embrace this new life, to become a new creation, this time is here for you. So if you wish to enter into a new life, through baptism, don't stay in your pew. Don't let this opportunity go by because you don't know how many opportunities you might get. That as together we stand and sing, we praise you, God, and we seek after you.